That sound can mean only one thing. That's right, time for another voyage exploring the past, present, and future of the old Oregon country. Come aboard and get set to ply the waters of the Pacific Northwest, metaphorical and otherwise, on another thrilling episode of Cascade of History. And now, stumbling out of the cluttered purser's office of the SS Columbia, here's your host, Felix Bonnell. This is Space 101.1 KMGP LPFM Magnuson Park. But we're not broadcasting from Magnuson Park tonight. We're live from the Burgermaster at University Village in historic North Seattle. I'm Felix Bonnell. I'm the host of Cascade of History the only live radio show about news and stories of Pacific Northwest history. And you may wonder, why is there only one live radio show about Pacific Northwest history? I think all of us know the answer to that question, but I'm not going to say it out loud tonight. Well, we are so thrilled to be doing a live remote broadcast. Local radio used to do this kind of stuff all the time, where you just get out and about in the community so people could see what it was like to put on a radio show, and uh, we could see our listeners um, face-to-face and just get out and around. And so we're thrilled that Alex Jensen... The CEO of Burgermaster is here with us tonight. He's the person who said yes to the email a month or so ago. I bet he's regretting it now because it's a Sunday night and he had to leave his comfortable home in North Seattle and drive over here to sit down and talk with us. Um, we're going to talk to Alex in a moment. We're also going to talk to um, Richard Heisler from the Seattle uh, Civil War History Group. And we're going to talk to Joseph uh, Mangling of the Candy Cane Lane Association, the group of neighbors who put on that terrific holiday decoration festival every year, uh, not too far from where we're sitting tonight. And we have some other surprises, lots of people here. Hey, how about everyone there in the audience? Give a big round of applause for Space One. That's great. I've always wanted to host a live radio show with an audience, and you're you're making my dreams come true tonight here, and uh, with French fries and everything as well. All right, so um, we're here for the next hour. If you're in the neighborhood, stop by. We'd love to see you. We'd love to see you get a shake, get some French fries, get a Burger Master. Uh, I, I went for the combo. I'm as, traditional, as old school. All right, so Alex Jensen, so you're the CEO of Burgermaster. That's correct. And that's, this is a family company that's been around since when? A family company started in 1952. My grandfather, Phil Jensen, uh, got the wonderful opportunity to open up a hamburger restaurant. It was actually originally a gas station on this property that was converted to a restaurant. There was successful enough that eventually they moved into what was essentially a strip mall next door. There was a sporting mm-hmm. goods store there called Sportmaster, ironically okay. enough, also <laughs> run by my grandfather. And in fact, you can see the beams from that original strip mall. Uh, this building was later converted and made into a sit-down restaurant. But this was two different drives on this property wow. before this sit-down location. So the, I'm confessing ignorance. The very original location, this is hallowed ground. This is where it all begins right here in 1952. By my estimation, that's 70 years ago. 70 years. So our 70th anniversary we've been enjoying that uh we've had some t-shirts made had wow. a party with the employees this summer it was that, fun. that was your grandfather you said that was my father's father yes okay okay now was he a world war ii vet did he come home and from the war or what was his history that's exactly right yeah he grew up uh in montana very very poor moved to enumclaw when he was pretty young went to high school out there met my grandmother in high school uh was shipped off to world war ii and on the boat back uh, he'd already saved some money but he won about $500 playing seven-card stud <laughs> on the boat back, and he used that money to start a, a string of different businesses, uh, tried a couple of restaurants, eventually landed on the Burgermaster. It wasn't the last concept he tried, but it was certainly the most successful. Huh. And, yeah, we've been around for 70 years. That's crazy. So was there, what was it that inspired him to go into hamburger? I know that's, I mean, that's sort of the post-war era. It was big, big for hamburger chains all over the country here in Seattle with Dick's and Dag's and places like that, but... A big part of his reasoning, at least that he shared with us later in his life, was that it was kind of a recession-proof industry, that in good times, people liked hamburgers, and in bad times, people could still afford hamburgers, and having grown up in the middle of the Depression, that was a key thing for him. Wow. Now, he's no longer among the living, is he? He passed away back in 2009. Okay. Okay. So, that, so how old was he when he died? He was 88. So he lived a good long life. Okay. All yeah. Right, that's great. So how many Burgermasters are there now? There are currently five. Tell me where those all are. I don't so, need to put you on the spot here. No, okay. no, that, that's great. That's great. I, this is the kind of question I should be able to answer. It's my swing zone. Uh, so this is the original. Uh, we built another store uh, on Aurora Avenue, right by the yeah. Oak Tree Cinemas. Yep. That yep. was about 1962. The Bellevue store was built in 1967. Okay. There was yep. a couple more that kind of came and went in between then. Okay. But there was uh, the 
Mill Creek store was built in 2002. So that was oh. our 50th anniversary. Okay. And uh, then Mount Vernon was opened in 2015. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there's there, there's the five now. My uncle had one in Everett mm. that closed just a few years ago, right before the pandemic, actually. It was wow. a pretty good time to close the shop. Yeah. How did you guys do during the pandemic? Is that a dumb question? You know, um, it, it's not because most restaurants had a really rough time, yeah. um, understandably. We were very fortunate in the sense that we're a very to-go centric model, yeah. uh, mostly takeout. So at the drive-ins, um, the health department asked that we didn't put food on trays, mm-hmm. but people were welcome to sit in their car and eat if they wanted. And I think for a lot of people, it was a welcome break. So many people were stuck at home, uh, especially at like at Bellevue and Mill Creek locations that are drive-ins. People would come in, they'd park, you know, a stall away from someone they were friends with. You could talk from a distance uh, yeah, and still yeah. feel like some level of, of sociability. So yeah, yeah. I think it was a welcome break for people. So um, is this the only sit-down location? This is the only sit-down location. Okay. I'd mentioned the Everett location that my uncle ran. Yeah. They had a drive-through, but yeah. they were sit-down otherwise. <laughs> um, and the sit-down locations tend to be a little bit different. We had spaghetti yeah. here for a long time. We had, oh, Little uh, Luigi's. No, what was it called? That was a, a very long time ago. Oh, okay. We, we okay. retained the spaghetti from that. Okay. That was kind of a holdover. Okay. Um, but Little Luigi's was a restaurant concept my father ran. Uh, this Actually, behind this wall, there's a second kitchen back here. Okay. It was called the Sidekick. Uh, there was a pie shop for a bit. Wow. Little Luigi's was, I think, actually a partnership with another gentleman my grandfather knew. Interesting. Um, and he did a couple things like that throughout the years. There was another guy named Jerry Shireman, okay. who was the one uh, who helped my grandfather quite a okay. bit in the beginning. And Little Luigi, that came from one of our guests tonight sitting back there, Art Langley. There we go. The grandson of the former mayor of Seattle, the only mayor of Seattle to successfully run and become governor, three-term governor back in the 40s. Anyway. That's amazing. So thanks for thanks for stumping. You stumped the band. You didn't stump the band. He, he knew his stuff. I'm really we're really you've impressed. You've really impressed Art Langley here tonight, and and me as well, and probably anyone listening to the show. Um, in case you're just joining us, it's Cascade of History. We're live and remote from the Burgermaster at University Village in Seattle. We're talking to Alex Jensen. He's the CEO of Burgermaster. This restaurant has been here for 70 years, and it, I think you might have said this, but um, was it initially a drive and then became a sit down restaurant in what year, roughly? You know what? That is a, a matter of contention amongst the family. We've been oh, trying to okay. debate back and forth. Okay. We think it was about 1974. Okay. But it's hard. It's one of those things where you don't think about it at the time, and yeah. then 20 years later you go, uh, somebody should have written that stuff down. I was born in 1980, <laughs> so I, I think I come by it honestly that okay, I, I can't gotcha. answer that question very well. Because the experience of going to the drive, and even I, I grew up in Rose Hill and used to go to the one down there at Northup all the time, and it was always it was just exciting to be able to you know put the window down, especially in old cars where you could crank the window down. Now you have to turn the motor on. It's, it's a little trickier. It is tricky. And the windows they, they've built these days aren't quite so straight up and down. That's they've right. got more of a curve to them. So we've yeah. had to kind of modify the trays over the years to get them to, to sit and, and not oh, you know, dump your drink on your lap. Yeah, and the, it, like some of these modern cars, the headlights are on all the time. So it's like, it's just... It, it makes it tricky. Yeah, you got to yeah. try to remind people. And some folks don't even know how to turn their headlights off. So it's, uh, right. you know, car hops are on their toes. Now, when we posted information on Facebook about a week ago that we were going to do this broadcast, people were excited. People thought I was saying, the restaurant's closing. There was someone, someone was accusing me that I, I, I said something like, it might be our first ever remote and maybe our last ever, which was more a reflection of if the technical part of this doesn't work out, we're never going to do it ever again. I think people interpreted that as me saying that Burgermaster was closing down tonight. So I don't think that's the case, though, right? Can you, can you uh, sway, put those rumors to rest? I can put those rumors to rest. I think that I can understand perhaps why people jump to that conclusion yeah. because uh, probably about 30 years ago, the Mowat family that had owned this property sold to the Safeway next door. Okay. Safeway has merged with Albertsons and somewhere yeah. along the line, they made an agreement with a developer to sell this property. Okay. So we do think there's a very good chance from everything we're hearing that we're probably out of here next, next year, early in the year. Oh, and that's I mean, next year is next month. Next year is next month. So, so is there any, is there a closing date or a closing time frame for this place? Unfortunately, we just have had such little information. Okay. I know the gym next door, I think, is supposed to be out at the end of February. Okay. So we're, we don't know if we're going to be around the same time. We haven't had a long-term lease for a long time. Okay. Uh, we've been basically operating on a month-to-month basis. Month-to-month. Which month. is difficult Crazy. to try to plan. You know, oh, we had to replace man. HVAC a couple years ago. Yeah. We've done some uh, modernization to the interior, remodeled the bathrooms. And it's one of those things where... It's hard to spend the money not knowing what's going to come next. I bet. But at the end of the day, you have to have a nice establishment for people to come into. Yeah, so yeah. it's been worth the expense. So then it could be as early as the end of February is what you might be saying. I think that's kind of what we're anticipating. Okay. So uh, is it, it's, no, wait, is it's next longer, year a leap year to get one extra day? I, uh, 
Fingers crossed. Okay. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I think this, um, I know the people of Laurelhurst think of this as almost like their town hall, and it's like a crossroads and a cracker barrel and all, whatever the different metaphors would be for where people get together and just drink coffee for hours and talk about all sorts of stuff. So That is 100% uh, accurate. There's a group that meets almost every morning uh, over in the section, kind of the opposite side of those registers. Uh, they talk politics for a couple of hours. Yeah. I was here two weeks ago getting breakfast with my wife and kids, yeah. and they had probably 80 people in this section right here. There oh, was wow. a memorial for a gentleman who you know, frequented this restaurant. Oh, wow. Yeah, see, that's... I remember I covered the closing of um, Sunset Bowl in Ballard for the Seattle Channel, which I think 15 years ago now or something, and there was just... It was like this fabric torn from the community because it's this weird intersection of commerce and public connection. And it's sort of, I mean, it's a good thing, right? When it, when it works and when it lasts in 70 years, you guys obviously have no control over the real estate. So I don't think anyone's mad at you guys. But I think you're going to get a lot of, people are going to be sad, expressing their sadness about that, obviously. People have definitely been coming in and sharing yeah. stories and telling us how much they'll miss this place. And, yeah. and that means a lot to yeah. us. We actually had someone from Furcrest, Washington, mail us in a, basically a vintage matchbook. Oh, and I've wow. been told stories about this for years. It's in the shape of a hamburger, and the matches are little car hops. So it's great wow. to have people that care oh, about the business. Man. They've got a connection with it, and then they're reaching out and, and you know, doing stuff like that. It's kind of amazing. And there was some talk, but I think it, it's, it didn't go forward of you having some kind of location here. And it sounded, one thing you mentioned before we came on the air, it sounded pretty cool, the idea. It sounded kind of way out there. But can you, are you at liberty to discuss that on the Yeah, okay. I don't mind sharing. <laughs> what I was kind of hoping for is that the developer would consider putting a drive-in on top of one of these parking garages <laughs> or on top of a building and going, hey, you know, we can have, uh, we can stay on the original property. We'll have a drive-in. You'd have an amazing view of wow. you know, Portage Bay and you've got the stadium there and, and yeah. the village. Uh, they've already got, you know, a, a planned development. And unfortunately, yeah. we didn't hear about it until a little bit too late. Uh, the the retail space they'd have for us is significantly smaller with a lot less parking. So it just unfortunately doesn't really pencil out for us. Yeah. But we'd certainly keep our eyes open. We'd love to expand at least one more, two more locations. And uh, we're working on that. Oh, that's so, that's really good. Okay, so yeah. this one may be going away. It sounds like it probably is. End of February, perhaps, at the earliest, or, or that might be the date. But then there is plans to either re place it sort of i mean yeah. the, the, i mean real estate is so expensive around here i can't imagine what it would cost to get enough space for a parking lot and a, and however many square foot this building is here yeah I, we need probably 30 or 40,000 square feet for the average drive in that we build we have some that are a little bit smaller but with okay. the setbacks these days you know we yeah. probably need that range and we'll probably be outside of seattle just yeah. knowing the way that the economics go yeah. but I'd love for an opportunity to pop up. I'd love for somebody to prove me wrong if you're listening and you've got yeah. a great plot of land you want a burger place on. Come <laughs> let me know. That's great. Um, I'm gonna, I have to tell my story. I've already told it three or four times tonight before the show, but I used to come and have lunch here with Chris Wiedis, who played J.P. Patches back in the 2000s. I was working at Mohai down the street. Chris lives up, lived up in Edmonds, and we would meet here. And it was one day probably 2005, 2006, something like that. We were sitting over in that elevated section there on the west end, I think. And we were, you know, we'd go to the salad bar, which I know was a, a, that went away during the pandemic, they yeah. were telling me. Yep. Um, anyway, so we had her sitting there having our salad, and we looked across, and there was Gordy Clinton, who was mayor of Seattle during the World's Fair. And at this point, he was probably in his late 80s, early 90s, but still very spry. And so Chris Wiedis and I got it. Mayor of the city dump, Chris Wiedis, went over and talked to the mayor of Seattle during the World's Fair. And as I've said a few times tonight, it was the most Seattle moment of my life. I've never been more Seattleized than I was having lunch with Chris Wiedis and bumping into Mayor Gordy Clinton, you know, 15 years ago. So it is an amazing crossroads. And I had other old friends who've since passed away I used to have lunch with here. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's sad, but we understand, I guess. So um, I, I really want to thank you for letting us do this event here. Hopefully, I mean, if it does in fact close in February, can we come back and do this again some night in February? Maybe another fantastic. That would, that maybe, I, I would love maybe come more. here for the last night even do another yeah. do a special show. I mean, it'd be sad, but it'd be fun to do that in, in some way. So. All right, Alex Jensen, anything else about the, the you want to say to the community as, as they're kind of taking in this news tonight? I guess I would just say thank you so much. I mean, we'd be nothing, uh, I mean, first of all, I guess our employees, but also our yeah, customers. Yeah. Um, uh, the community has uh, rallied around us at many different times. Uh, 30 years ago, when this place was threatened to be closed for the first time, we had some people <laughs> that were threatening to chain themselves to the front of the building. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't expect yeah. anybody to do that. And I don't begrudge, you know, progress. The things happen. Yeah. Um, we're just happy that we've got a couple of other restaurants we can focus on. 
and continue to you know make our employees happy. We're hoping to move everybody from here to one of our other restaurants, or at least make them an offer, yeah. so that they're not you know stuck without a job. Yeah, that's, you get the yeah. sense. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of you guys have low turnover. Am I wrong? Is it got people live for a long time? Am I is that overstating it? Uh, you're not overstating it. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of companies talk about treating their employees well. We really mm-hmm. try to walk the walk. Uh, the manager here has been here for approximately 40 years. That's great. When I first started at <laughs> Bellevue, I took over for a manager who'd been there for about 40 years. The manager in Mill Creek uh, started as a dishwasher here about uh, 22 years ago and worked his way up. Learned, nice. learned English first and then, nice. and then worked his way up to being a manager. Did they have you working managing a store? Uh, I I did I managed a store. Oh, so I, I didn't start they, off. They that didn't way. just put you in the CEO seat oh, as the no, the scion no, no. and the the wonder child of the family. That's amazing. Uh, my dad has always said you've got to you got to go cut your teeth and you got to run a store for two years. And if you uh-huh. haven't done that, then you really don't know what you're doing. Uh-huh. So you know, I had gone through law school and kind of like, hey, you know, I'm all that in a bag of chips. And they're saying, no, whatever, you know, start at square one. I had I've done all the positions. I, I've been a dishwasher. I've worked fountain. I've worked the line. I've been a car hop and a cashier. Uh, yeah, and then started as a manager, which was a bit unnerving. Uh, but I was very lucky in that I had a fantastic crew uh, over the Bellevue location, which sounds like you frequented. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they really bought in to what I was trying to do. At the time, I think, I know minimum wage was nine forty-seven. and we were hiring at nine fifty an hour. And I went, I told my family, I said, look, this, we can't keep doing this. And I'm very proud we started hiring at $20 an hour last year. Right on. Um, and at something that I definitely want to keep pressing is, is paying employees well, treating them well, trying to add more benefits for them um, because they're the ones that take care of our customers. So we got to make sure that they're happy. Last question for you. And I've asked, I know, I don't think Dick's thought about this back in the fifties. Did you guys ever, was there ever in your grandfather's entrepreneurial mind, the idea of like taking Burger Master national, like a franchise thing? I don't think he ever thought of that. He, he really liked being in touch with his employees. Um, he tried to know everybody's name. He wanted to know their kids' names. Nice. He probably gave away more money than he made. Yeah. Uh, so maybe in the back of his mind, but uh, overall, he was just happy. He'd tell me all the time. Uh, you know, he, he grew up very poor again, and he'd say, uh, I, I grew up in basically a chicken coop, and everything you see here is profit. So that was, uh, he, he was pretty happy with that. Very nice. Well, Alex Jensen, CEO of Burgermaster, thank you so much for hosting us here tonight. Thank you for being a wonderful guest. And um, let's keep in touch as the, as the news may become more clear in the weeks and months ahead. So well, Certainly our pleasure to host, and thank you for having me on the program, and I wish you both a great night. Thanks, Alex. That's Alex Jensen. He's the CEO of Burgermaster. Joining us here, we're live on Cascade of History on Space 101.1 FM and streaming live at space101fm.org. We're a community station. If you go to our website, space101fm.org, you can see how to donate. You can see what other programs we have on. Um, All sorts of uh, community people getting together, putting on shows with their favorite music and favorite stuff about local culture, national culture. We're ordinarily broadcast from the old gatehouse, the Master at Arms Quarters at Sandpoint Naval Air Station, nowadays known as Magnuson Park. So we'd, we'd... we're centered in North Seattle, but um, on this show, Cascade of History, we try to get out and around the entire region. We talk to people in Idaho, in Oregon, in British Columbia, all that part of the country called the old Oregon country because it's, uh, it's, it's a region. And we have different, different political boundaries and everything and different cultures, but uh, it's a historical region. So we look for good stories. If you have story ideas, you can send them to cascadeofhistory at gmail.com. I, um, our roving correspondent, Ken Zick, is here tonight. He's, he's not roving. He's actually here for the live broadcast. And we're going to talk to him a little bit later on about his... Uh, he wore a costume because it's a radio show. So um, but we'll, talk, we'll talk more about that. But I'm, I, and I'd love to be able to send Ken out into Idaho and, and Oregon and British Columbia. But we haven't figured out how that would, to make that happen and have Ken still maintain his day job. So anyway, um, we're in the North Seattle neighborhood. And one of the greatest features of North Seattle this time of year is a place called Candy Cane Lane. I went there last night. It's a free drive-through holiday light park, um, and it's been there for many, many decades. I can't remember the first time I went, probably sometime back in the 80s. Um, but Joseph Manling is here with us tonight, who I think, Joseph, can accept that? Did I say your name correctly? Perfect. Perfect. Come a little bit close to the microphone. There. You have to kind of really put your lips right up against right. Mine's My microphone's different. It's kind of confusing. I get to, I get to lean back. You don't get to lean back. Um, so do you live on Candy Cane Lane? I do live on Candy Cane Lane. Uh, we moved there. Let's see, my kids were born in uh, 2010, and that's when we moved in. Um, so going on 13 years now. 
Did you know you were moving on to Candy Cane Lane? Did you think <laughs> what's the, what's the actual street name? So the street name is uh, Park Road. Okay. Um, however, my I'm pretty sure my kids don't even know their address. They just know um, Candy Cane Lane, and everyone knows where where they live. So when your family moved there, was everyone happy that you were going to be? Not, you're not forced to be part of this. I mean, right. it, it's 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 optional, right? Right. So. Uh, I actually went to UW, and I, I lived in, in one of the fraternities just, gosh, a quarter mile away from the house. Okay. And I had no idea what Candy Cane Lane was about. Um, when we were pregnant, we were living in downtown Seattle. Uh, we had to find a place with, with more room, obviously. <laughs> and we found this beautiful home on in North Seattle, and... Uh, we were lucky to put in an offer, and it was accepted, and uh, we moved into Candy Cane Lane. Um, I did not, we did not know anything about it. Um, and then, obviously, you know, once we purchased the house, did some research, we're like, oh, nice, you know. I, I like lights. Uh, I, can, I can put up some lights. Wait, what type of year did you buy the house? So we bought the house in November oh. 2009. Okay. Uh, we smartly said that we were going to move in... Um, in January. Okay. So we good. didn't have so you, to... Okay, so you got a okay, free yeah. year to get ready for it. Okay. Um, okay. And in the interim, there was some work being done in the house. They had to um, fix the chimney a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit under construction. So during uh, 2009, Candy Lane, there was the for sale sign was still on the property oh. saying it was sold. And my wife and I uh, were walking through Candy Cane Lane um, that year uh, after, you know, we purchased the house. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny, we, we went there doing a particularly um, busy night, and it was a little chaotic. Uh-huh. We, were, we were walking down the street, approaching our house, and um, we heard some people behind us saying, wow, this is, this is beautiful, but they saw the sale sign. Who would want to buy this house? Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I said to my wife, well, I know someone who, <laughs> who wants to buy, who'd buy the house. Um, and so, but it's been, it's been very, very fun since. So for someone who's, say someone who's never been to Candy Cane Lane or they're listening tonight in Idaho or some far, far reaches of northern British Columbia, how do you describe, like if you're on the plane or something in an elevator and someone says, what do you mean you live on Candy Cane Lane? What do you, how do you describe it? Um, I would say uh, Candy Cane Lane um, is a street of about 30 houses where we all collectively participate. It's very neighborhood grown organic grown um if you're looking for gaudy flashy um displays uh candy cane lane probably isn't going to fit that bill however if you're looking for something that is community oriented um built with the community in mind um where everybody partakes it's a i think um someone yesterday during setup day categorized it as almost antique, yeah, almost yeah. homespun, yeah. Um, and um, almost old-fashioned. Yeah, the, the plywood cutouts, I think, are always, like, they yeah. look sort of home, they're homegrown and look homemade. That's exactly. the nice one. So you actually set up, you opened last night, and the setup was actually yesterday? You don't set it up that far in advance? Oh, so we set it up, it, it used to be done in one day, um, <laughs> but now we, we uh, take a Saturday after Thanksgiving, and then the following Saturday, okay. I to set it up. So now okay. it's a two-day operation. And do you know the origins of how it came together? Yeah. Tell, tell me that story. Uh, it's a little <laughs> bit of a mystery, but I believe in the 1940s, the Seattle Times had a, had a um, holiday decorating contest. Mm-hmm. And I believe the house at the entrance of, of Kennekeen Lane uh, participated, and I think they won or got second or third. Um, and the house continued to um, be decorated, and then other houses joined in. And then by the 1950s, it was um, it was pretty similar to what you see now. Huh. Um, in the 1960s, our neighbor uh, Bill Reader, he is an engineer, and um, he, it came to him in a dream <laughs> the the uh, the carousel that is the prominent feature of Candy Cane Lane. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, he dreamt up the plans, the, the workings, the engineering, um, and uh, in the 60s they is when the carousel fart, first started spinning. Okay. And we have been in uh, installing that same plan for now 
50, 60, 70 years going. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Are there families who've been there for the whole 73 years of it, or has, has there been enough like turnover on yeah. that street where there's nobody left from the, the long, far-off days? I believe there, I think, I think we have a neighbor um, who, who grew up on Canyon Plain Lane, oh, her wow. family. So I think she's been here since, yeah, since the 40s or 50s. Now, some, sometimes it seems there's a few houses that aren't, all, that aren't decorated. I imagine mm-hmm. there are some people who opt out for either religious reasons right. or cultural reasons or something. And are they, I mean... You don't have to name names. Yeah. <laughs> is, every, is everyone get along on Candy Cane oh, Lane? Yeah. Is, is, there, is there a sort of a seamy underside that we're not seeing behind the Christmas lights and the plywood cutouts? It's uh, um, everybody on Candy Cane Lane feels really fortunate to be there because yeah. it mm. is. Bec- I mean, the we do Candy Cane Lane for for the community, yeah, to give back. But really, I think we the neighbors get more out of it than the community. How many streets in Seattle? Um, are there where everybody knows everybody on the street? Yeah. I mean, I know we have 30 houses, and we know everybody. My kids have been in half the houses. Um, and the reason why we all know each other is because of Candy Cane Lane. Um, we all get together and put up the displays. Um, we actually... Uh, have a have a party afterwards. Oh, at, nice! At my house, we probably drive drove through last night, and we had a big party in back after oh. setup day. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> I just drive through. <clears throat> I did drive through twice, though. So. Yeah, <laughs> um, but we just feel very fortunate that that's cool because of Candy Cane Lane. We know all of our neighbors, and I think that's fairly rare in Seattle that everybody right. knows yeah. everybody. Um, so it's um, everybody on the street really enjoys each other, and we've been lucky. Um, everybody partakes. There's not a house that doesn't participate. And you had that set up and that Saturday after Thanksgiving and then the Saturday before things get rolling yesterday. Mm-hmm. Are there, there must be some meetings. Do people get together to discuss logistics? Or is oh, it all yeah. done by email oh, now? Or? No, we have, okay. we have a, we have a set up <laughs> meeting. We have committees. <laughs> we have planning. Uh, we have a garage sale every year okay. to, uh, to fund the electric bill. Um, oh wow! I didn't even think about yeah, that. It's um, wait. Is it is the electrical bill? Is it shared, or is there actually a tap you guys can get for one setting for the whole part? <laughs> we, we plug into one house. Oh, and, one house does it. And, okay, and and we'll pay for that electric bill. And it's not as much as you would think. I think it's maybe a couple hundred bucks or so. Huh. And so we usually ha- we always have a little bit left over afterwards. Um, mm. One of the things about Canakee Lane is. It's you know it's free. We don't we don't charge. We mm-hmm. um, we we do have a bin at the end of the street where people can can donate um, canned goods and, yeah. and clothing that we um, that we donate to I think the University Food Bank every year. Uh-huh. Um, and typically we gather almost uh, two tons of of food and, and clothes to donate. So it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty um, it's pretty remarkable that. Folks come to Kennecan uh, Lane armed with goods, and the surprising thing is, um, when we collect the uh, the goods, people throw money in there. Wow! And so I mean, and it's it's not an insignificant amount. Nice. And so I just imagine folks, you know, getting out of the car and throwing bills into this trash can. It's that was me last it night. Was no, see, no I, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm telling a fib. I should have done that. You're making me feel, I wasn't carrying any cash or, or any canned food. I feel yeah. guilty now. No, but no. I'll, next time I come back, I'll do that. Cause that's cause, And you guys are open certain hours and you're open through what day? Do you know the basics of the calendar right. you can share with people? Yeah, so we open at 4 o'clock um, uh, every day and the lights, I believe, are open, are on till I think 10.30 on weekdays and I think 11 o'clock um, on weekends. Okay. And then is someone out there like looking at their watch at 11 o'clock, pulls the plug at 11 o'clock, even if there are cars driving down no, the road? No, okay. no, we all have, uh, we all have timers or oh. most of us have timers <laughs> with the lights shut off. Um, because if even one house has lights on, then yeah. cars, cars keep on <laughs> coming by. Now, any horror stories about something going dreadfully wrong that you can share or something where something kind of like, you know, either display fell over or something caught fire or, you yeah, know, sort of like, sure. tell me one of those stories. Um, you know, every, every once in a while, um, there's literally, Grinches who come through and, oh. and, and steal some of the That's displays. That's terrible. And, and, oh, man. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, 
Is there a posse? Is there a candy cane lane posse that goes out to <laughs> well, hunt down the, the offenders? We did find them, and we 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 claimed our goods back. Um, Don't mess with candy cane lane, exactly, is what you're saying? Okay, exactly. let that be a warning to anyone in the sound of our voices here. Okay. And, and a couple years uh, a couple years ago, um, I think one of the city trucks came through and um, clipped some of the guide wires for the carousel, oh. and so, and so took the carousel down. Oh. Um, but we were able to repair it after a couple hours. Now, when you say carousel, last night I saw the spinning angel chime. Yes. Is that that's the carousel? That's the carousel, okay. correct? Because that's, that's it looks like plywood cutout angel chime ships, and it looks exactly like the little miniature angel chimes, but in probably hundred times bigger than their normal size. Correct, correct. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What what kind of motor is spinning that? Do you know any of those? I believe, I believe it's an, and I might not, I might be wrong here, but I think an airplane engine. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, someone can fact check me, but I believe it's a, I, I believe it's an airplane like engine that. or some some kind of turbine engine. Now, is there any sound of Candy Cane Lane? Is there is there music playing, or is there a low power radio broadcast or anything like that? Yes, uh, one of the houses on the circle, the carousel, uh-huh. um, um, has speaker, has a speaker uh, that brought that pumps music out. Got it. Uh, okay. And um, we also have, um, typically, Candy Cane Lane is. You know, drivable and walkable. Yeah. But on December 11 and December 14, we have pedestrian days oh. where we actually close down the street and it's walk only. Neat. Oh, that's great. And also on those dates, on December 11, um, that uh, pulling up the Facebook page. <laughs> oh, great. With, with the information. Is that the best place for people to get information? Is the Facebook page? There's yeah. not a separate website. There's correct? not a separate. Okay. It's at Seattle Kennekeen Lane on, on Facebook. Okay. Terrific. Um, but on the 11th and the 14th are the are the pedestrian nights, and let's see here. On the, on the 11th, the UW marching band is oh. coming by at 6:30. Wow, that's cool. And on the 14th, the Roosevelt High School jazz band is coming by. And they're doing Christmas carols, I assume. Christmas carols and oh, and that's well, the you know the UW Husky band they always got to do tequila. That's right. <laughs> Now, do you ever sort of, does it ever happen like it's a holiday season, maybe it's a couple weeks into the candy cane lane season, and you've had a long day, and you're tired, and you just, you, you have like a migraine headache, and you look out the window, and the lights are flashing, you just like, you want it all to stop? <laughs> you know, it, I guess if if that's an issue, probably, um, you're probably not living on candy cane <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm yeah. good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, um, Joseph Manneling, thank you so much for doing what you do with your community to put on that wonderful light display at Candy Cane Lane and for collecting all the food for the University Food Bank. I'm sure it's... Oh, I want to ask you. There must be times in the past when it snowed. It's beautiful. It must be magical. I got I to gotta make it over there if it snows this year. I got to make it to Candy Cane Lane during the yeah. snow. I think I was there one of the big storms back in the early 90s. I'm pretty yeah. sure I came on uh, one of the snowy nights, but what a cool thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it was either 2016 or 2017 when it snowed on Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah. I remember um, um, looking at the window, and it's quiet, and the carousel spinning, and, and it's snowing, and everything's white, and it was just beautiful. Very cool. Joseph Manning, thank you for you and your neighbors. Thanks, everybody, for thank putting you. on Candy Cane Lane. All right. All right, well, we are live at the Burgermaster at University Village. It's Cascade of History on Space 101.1 FM, broadcasting live every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. This is the first time we've been live and remote. Um, we're going to take a little break here and listen to some holiday music from Stan Borson, just because, you know, Stan lived very near Sandpoint, so he's sort of like the unofficial honorary, uh, what would you call him, godfather of uh, Christmas music for Space 101.1 FM. The shirts were swell and the socks were fine All size 12 but my feet are size 9 I've had a very merry Christmas You know the watch won't run and the wallet split The gloves are small and the pyjamas don't fit I've had a very merry Christmas Ten dozen hankies Embroidered up with roses Ten dozen hankies She must think that I'm covered with noses Six neckties, they're all handmade They're lovely ties, but they're all the same shade I've had a very merry Christmas Jingle bells, jingle bells Give my heart a lift Tomorrow I'll 
be on my way exchanging every gift. Oh, I'm so disappointed. I have never been so disillusioned in my whole life. Cause the pen won't write and the slippers gap. The bathrobe's tight and the camera won't snap. But I've had a very merry Christmas. Those darn cigars are much too strong. The sweater's wide and the shorts are too long. I've had a very merry Christmas. I got six pairs of swim trunks, a present that my girl made. Six pairs of swim trunks. She must think that the mini the mermaid. The hat's too small and the ring ain't gold. The muffler's tin and the caught a good cold. I've had a very merry Christmas. Yeah, fine Christmas I had. Uh, don't get me wrong though. I'm not too unhappy. I'm just miserable. But just wait till next year. The inimitable, the great, the one and only Stan Borson on Cascade of History. We're live at the Burgermaster at University Village for another 24 minutes. If you're anywhere nearby, get in the car, run down here, drive down here, get a shake, some fries, a burger, and sit and watch a radio show. Because what's more exciting on a Sunday night in early December than watching a radio show? Because you can, on your, after the show's over, on your way driving home, you can drive through Candy Cane Lane, which is only about you know, a half mile from here, probably. All right, well, we've got, um, we're going to talk to Richard Heisler, a local expert on Seattle's connection to the Civil War, in just a moment. But I also have a pluck from the audience, a former Laurelhurst resident and a uh, longtime fan of this Burgermaster where we're sitting tonight. And in case you are just joining us, we learned that this location is going to close down probably sometime in late February next year, maybe the end of February. It's, it's not confirmed, but that's what uh, Alex Jensen, the CEO, said is likely to happen. And if that does, in fact, happen, we're planning on being here to do another live broadcast on the final night. Uh, we'll do a special edition of Cascade of History if uh, the program director says it's okay. So, um, Art Langley, you're an, old, you're an old Laurelhurst guy, right? I am. I grew up in this neighborhood. I originally started out in Laurelhurst, and then we moved in 1971 to nearby Laurelhurst, yeah. Oh, near, oh I've so. heard of nearby Laurelhurst. I've seen <laughs> right. the sign before. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a not, not well-known neighborhood, but... Uh, yeah. I understand. Um, so this, what did this, put it in context, for someone who's never been to this Burgermaster, who's listening in the far-off reaches of, you know, the, the Antarctica or something, what does this restaurant mean to the community, to Laurelhurst, in terms of the culture and the politics? And yeah, everything? interestingly, you know, the Northeast Seattle had a lot of Seattle politicians, frankly, yeah. uh, living in it for a long time, and still this big room draws them in. Yeah. There's a corner over here that has a lot of histor historical pictures of the UW, uh, you know, both crew and football and stuff. And I know that Governor Evans comes here, for instance. Um, nice. And I know that Charlie comes here, Royer comes here, and there's been any number of people that lived out in this neighborhood. Al Rosalini lived across the street from me for oh, most that's of right. my that's growing right. up. So, yeah. And they, they came down here. And it, it's really been a community meeting place, I think, for a lot of people. Um, I used to ride the bus down here with friends uh, on our way to the Ave, and we'd, we'd stop on Saturday for lunch and then get back on the bus with our little transfer uh, slip. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I forgot go up about and those. walk the Ave. Uh, of course, we were seven and eight years old then. Okay. And you probably might not let your children do that today, unfortunately. But Wait, what was there for seven or eight year olds to do on the Ave in that time? <laughs> well, again, different time. There's uh, record stores. And That's right. That's yeah, right. So there were. Yeah, the Ave then didn't have anywhere near what it had now. There was, yeah. you know, was I, remember, I remember, I can't remember what, they, I missed the Pagliacci's on the Ave. That's now gone, too. There was the, I yeah. used, like when they would do the um, ne Neapolitan-style pizza during the street fair, the big square cut. Yep. Anyway. Yep. Um, and, Round, and, yeah, I mean, the sub, sub shop of Gillies was... Yeah, and the, the submarine shop, too, at the yeah, 50th. And you've, and I think you've highlighted the Orange Julius a few times. Yeah, the so, Orange King. Yeah, the, orange the, knee, the, well, it the became orange, the Orange yeah, King. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Everything's changed. Teriyaki and orange. That's right, that's <laughs> so. right. So um, so it's, it's uh, I was mentioning earlier that your grandfather was mayor of Seattle, I think, in 1938. Yep, he was a city councilman before that. That's right. And then, then he was mayor. Yep. And then he ran for governor and was three-term governor. And the only, did right. he do two terms and then... He came did back one, and did a comeback. He did one right? term. Oh, one term, okay. And then came back for two. And yep. you're, you guys have the share of the name, right? You use Art Langley as well? 
Yeah, we, uh, he's Arthur B. Langley. Okay. And my dad is Arthur S. Langley. I'm Arthur K. Langley, and my son is Arthur F. Langley. Okay. So, <clears throat> Wait, let me write that down. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, my grandfather didn't believe in juniors or numbers, so no juniors, no numbers. And then I think it's correct that your grandfather is the only Seattle mayor to successfully run for governor. No, other people try. I think Norm Rice tried. That's right. Others have tried in the past, yep. but no one ever made the leap from City Hall to the governor's mansion that's in Washington. Correct. That's pretty yep. amazing. That's, He's the that's, only one. Yeah. That's a no, crazy, it is. crazy It's kind of a weird... Weird little anomaly that only yeah. one person did that. All right. Well, it's great to see you coming out yeah, to the big show tonight. Thanks for stopping by. Well, we we're pleased to uh, hear about Candy Cane Lane, which is one of my that cool? all-time yeah. favorite places. We're going to swing in there on the way home, actually. Right on, right see on. See it again this year. I've seen that same scene yeah. many number of decades. but It, it uh, never grows no, old. It, it never doesn't. Grows old. It's great. So, all right. And we'll great hopefully we'll see you if we do the closeout of yeah. the big show here, if that comes together for next year. Come back for, for that sure. for sure. Yeah, I'd love we'll to see you again. So, all right. Thanks, Felix. Thanks, Art, for coming on. Yep. Art Langley. Local Laurelhurst and nearby Laurelhurst guy joining us. Um, Richard Heisler is our next guest. I first met Richard. I'm going to adjust this microphone for you just down a teeny little bit here. I think I can do that from a... Oh, that's like a... How's that? You have to kind of lean right into it to talk into it. Yep, there we go. Okay, I can hear you just fine. So you, you're, you have a Facebook page and you have a group that's devoted to Civil War history as it connects to Seattle and the Northwest. What's the official name of your group? Yeah, Civil War Seattle is the name. It's okay. my public history project. Uh, as of this year, since the last time I talked to you, it's actually become a, uh, a walking tour business oh, right on. as well. So okay. I've started a company doing tours that are based primarily on Civil War stuff, but also just local history. Uh, and that's it, it's morphed a lot into that. It's a little less Civil War, I think, okay. than um, it started off with this hobby Facebook page. And yeah. uh, now it's really integrated a lot into... 1880s to early 1900s Seattle history. Oh, that's great. With these individuals placed in context that way. I think the first place I met you, we met up at the the Grand Army of the Republic Cemetery yeah. on North Capitol Hill yeah. because all those um, Union yeah. Union Army veterans are buried there yeah, and their a, spouses and stuff. Amazing, amazing yeah. historic treasure that, that is, is that cemetery is that i mean is it is it got a future is it protected it always feels so open and so like vulnerable to me compared to other cemeteries that have fences around them and yeah. it seems like they have someone looking over them does that have someone watching over it it yeah it does it's a city of seattle park okay so that helps yeah. um but that place has had a pretty troubled history yeah uh since its inception it's been kind of a rocky road for that place it was originally a huge cemetery that extended four or five blocks further north and it's been slowly whittled down over the first couple decades to Mm. what remains today and the men who formed it the grand army the republic the survivors in the 1920s uh pleaded with the city of seattle to take ownership of it for that very reason that they were concerned that it wasn't going to be preserved it wasn't going to be protected they were going to build houses right up to the very edge of the grave sites there um so the city took responsibility for it uh there's also a group called the Friends of the Grand Army of the Republic, which was formed, I don't know specifically, I want to say 1998, 1999. Okay. Um, the city was proposing to do off-leash dog parks in a number of parks around the city. Uh, and I think that park was on the, the short list of like 12 or 11. Where the dogs would run over the graves yeah, of the, of the Union so, soldiers. Ooh. Yeah, so when that was happening, it seems like these Friends of organizations popped up in a lot of parks around the city that were all pushing back against the city's attempts to pilot this off-leash dog park program. So I think it was kind yeah. of found its origin in that, but then the mission of it was really to restore and protect the place. So there's a neighborhood association that uh, kind of keeps an eye on it, mm-hmm. so to mm-hmm. speak, um, and, and then the city itself owns it, and, and they're responsible for cutting the grass. Why does Seattle seem to have such a deep connection to people who migrated west after the Civil War? Was there, is there something special about the West Coast there, or Seattle? Or? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of it has to do with timing. I think of westward migration in general, mm-hmm. um, but the fact that Seattle's a very young city, mm-hmm. so these men when they showed up here, of course they there's some of them that trickle in starting in 1865, like within months of the final shot of the Civil War, there's soldiers trickling into the West Coast. Okay. But it's not until the Transcontinental Railroad arrives that these men start coming in large numbers, mm-hmm. and. So, you know, 1886 is really when we start to see, but 1888, 1889 is when a lot of these men show up. 
they're fairly advanced in life at that point. They're men with families and careers, uh, and they can assume leadership positions, I think, in society, in government, in business. Uh, so once they kind of established a little bit of a foothold, they were so influential here um, because the average age of population, 1890, 1880, is like 33 34, 35 for a mm -hmm. head of household. Mm -hmm. um, these guys are all in their 50s and 60s. So there's a lot of opportunity for men to work as physicians and lawyers and architects and carpenters. And uh, Lord knows they filled every position. And in, in so, so it was a, there, was a, there was a draw to bring them here that yeah. with opportunity that maybe wasn't so present in other places at that particular time. And do you have any sense of the ratio of Union veteran versus Confederate veteran? Yes, specific okay. ratio. Oh, you do? Actually. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so great. there's about <laughs> 3,500. That's my best estimate uh, of Total. Union veterans oh, that lived here okay. in this immediate Seattle and King County vicinity. Okay. Um, these are just the soldiers themselves, not in addition to all their families. Okay. Uh, there's about... I want to say 140 Confederates. Why so, is why is it such a? I mean, I think I, I guess I could take I, a guess, but is there any? Do you have a guess or a theory as to why that number is that way? I do. I think because the well, first of all, latitudinal migration I think is the main thing. The railroads okay. run east and west, Got and that's it. how okay. you. That's how. And so these soldiers a lot. Their migration is often staged. So they would start off in Massachusetts after the war, then they would live in Kansas for ten years, oh. then maybe South Dakota. So they really follow the progress of the railroads across the country. I see. Uh, and then, but then from the south, it wasn't, you know, there's way more Confederate veterans in Arizona, in New Mexico, in Southern California. Interesting. So that kind of pans out. A lot of the Southerners came here before, to the Northwest in general, before Union veterans do. Hmm. Um, which is interesting because they weren't, look, I found that, that there's more Confederate veterans in Idaho or Montana than there are here in Washington because they were going to silver mines and gold oh, mines, okay. things where it was a little quicker to recover economically from war. Um, um, they moved there as young men more than they moved here to Western Washington with, like I said, they were older, had families and, and that sort of, there's, there's, there's so much to, to that, but it's all uh, the, the, I guess that migratory patterns really, it's, a, it's kind of a social science answer to that i think but it's and is there of the of the union veterans who were here in the 1880s 1890s early 1900s the confederate veterans is there a um is there a brotherhood that crosses over uh from union to confederate soldier Abs once once they're all veterans absolutely okay. yeah that's so it's interesting because seattle's a very neutral site in that yeah, regard yeah yeah um and that's probably the number one question that i get from people is were there Confederates? So yeah. you followed, you did perfect with yeah, that. And then so secondly, my questions are really is, not get, very exciting. There's the they, same questions well, no, you get from the, everyone. They're the best no. questions. Okay. Um, and did they get along? Yeah. And they did in a remarkably uh, consistent way, even from early on, from uh, the first Veterans Memorial Days in 1879 in Seattle, there are Confederates okay. that march in those parades along with Union veterans. Not many. There was only a couple of them here at that point. Um, but they were, these guys were in city hall together. They were attorneys in the same courtrooms together. They had mm. businesses together. They had to coexist, uh, in building this new young city. So it's, there's, uh, less animosity for sure, yeah. but they really start a lot of, uh, reunion type events and events where union and Confederate veterans are speaking together on stage, uh, in the early 1890s, which is a little ahead of the curve hmm. of that behavior on a national level um, and, and they really came together in 1912 there was a uh, a big to-do with the American flag and the international workers of the world on May Day of 1912 oh yeah it's a big fight that breaks out yeah. on the streets uh, with Spanish American War veterans and communists and after all of this that really galvanized those two and the United Confederate Veterans wrote into the Seattle Times, like, we stand with our brother, Union huh. Veterans. And that was the year that they formally started participating in the Memorial Day parades together. Wow. And from, they were, there's exceptions. There's a couple men who are like, they went into the grave not wanting to talk to the Union soldiers. Wow. But most of them, uh, by that point, were, were 
of of one mind their sons were going to fight world war one together yeah that really you you see a lot of the same rhetoric from huh. both sides and and families marrying together in some cases so that's about 50 years after the civil war started yeah. 1912 you get yeah. the, the people are finally come interesting yeah. now are there um are there are there particularly prominent Civil War veterans who did interesting stuff here civically or, sure, or commerce yeah. wise here? Like um, name some of them. Yeah, we have multiple governors. Elijah Ferry. Uh, oh. Um, oh, how am I forgetting his name? He's buried in Evergreen Washelli Cemetery. Watson Squire, okay. governor. So there's three terms of governor there. Okay. Uh, George Kinnear, who owned half of Queen Anne yeah, Hill. He's yeah, yeah. Prominent Civil War officer, leader in the Grand Army organization. Federal. Uh, state, counties, <clears throat> municipal judges, uh, prosecuting attorneys, I mean, business leaders, Horace Henry, the Henry Art Gallery here. Okay. He was a Connecticut veteran of Gettysburg. Um, that, that leading class of people at that time, especially early 1890s, is just peppered with veterans. There, the, the presiding, uh, I, or I guess president of the Constitutional Convention is John Philo Hoyt, federal judge, uh, oh, Civil yeah. War veteran of Seattle as well. Okay. Um, and that, that constitutional convention is filled. 50% of our King County representatives were Civil War veterans. Huh. I mean, they, they were steering society at that That's point. That's interesting. Here. And, yeah. and going back to the actual time of the Civil War, I know mm-hmm. we, had a, we had a territorial governor, I think, who resigned and went back to fight for the Confederates. Mm-hmm. Isaac Stevens. Well, Isaac he, Stevens fought for the, for the yeah, Union. He died, yeah, against, yeah, yeah. But there was, a, there was a, I forget the name of the, there was a territorial governor who resigned and then went, to go fight as a Confederate. I'm blanking on what his name is right now. Mm. But yeah, Isaac Stevens, sure. it was the, yeah. Yeah, he was a he fought for the Union, right? He died mm. in the... Yeah, Battle of Chantilly. Chantilly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clutching the Union flag. Yeah, and, was yeah. it Highlanders, Highlanders, follow your general. Yes. That was just like, yeah. 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 Um, so it's... Do we know what it was like... Um, how closely people were following the Civil War here in the Northwest during the, those yeah, years? Yeah, it affected people pretty well. I mean, they're, they're the first generation, so they're cousins and brothers and uncles and things are the ones that are fighting this war. Uh, they're pretty invested in it, but they're, it's peripheral yeah. to us. Uh, until it, So we didn't have a newspaper here in Seattle until 1864. Okay. So prior to that, it took about two weeks to three weeks for the news of the war to reach here. I see. So Battle of Gettysburg doesn't show up in the newspaper until the third week of July. It was fought on July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. So they're invested. The news, like when the newspaper shows up, it's the the city of Seattle in uh, Four Wagons West, the classic, like, Seattle history memoir yeah, yeah. book. Uh, She describes the the fever over the news and and how people were interested in it. But it didn't necessarily affect them day to day. I see. Um, But they would get news. There was one person in particular uh, who... Got a letter from his, he was from Maine. He got a letter from his nephew who was fighting in the first Maine heavy artillery in Virginia. This is late 1864. The, the Times prints the whole letter. And oh. the fact that they did that was like, wow, this is a thing for the city. Oh. Everybody wants to read the letter from the, the family member in the war. And he was killed oh, like wow. three months after he wrote the letter. So you know that that news as well must have arrived. And so the, yeah. the community was invested in those individuals of their families that were fighting. Why do you care so much about Civil War history? Uh, well, two things. One, I was kind of born into it. So it's just, it's like being a baseball fan. You know, you just, <laughs> your dad, your dad's <laughs> DNA passed it along. Um, but what's really made me want to be so public about it and yeah. drive forward is I think it's my understanding of their place in Seattle society and how well-known they were during their time, how influential they were during their time, how... Uh, just impactful in general, and mm-hmm. it's completely receded into the shadows of history. Yeah, no kidding. Because um, you look, you go down through the name of, of these guys, and there's streets in Seattle. I mean, literally, the people who laid out and platted Pioneer Square after the Great Fire was a Confederate veteran of the Civil mm-hmm. War. And it's just, it's an afterthought that these guys were even here. If you were here during their time, which was from 1865 until 1951, there was a Civil War veteran in this city. Wait, who was the veteran here in 1951? Hiram Gale. He, he died at 104. Oh, wow. Uh, his last year, he was in Wait, a place called the Wait, he was the mayor Hospital. in the early Hiram Gill? No, no, Different that's somebody. Hiram Gill, G-I-L. Oh, this is Hiram Gale. Hiram Gale, G-I-L-E. Okay. <laughs> wow. G-A-L-E. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, um, we had some guys. Glass Confederate was here until 1947. Wow. Or uh, 1943, I believe. That's crazy. Uh, but, but yeah, so it was. A, it's it was a thing, and it's just, you know, they were going to build a massive monument in where the Prefontaine Fountain is. Oh, okay. And it was going to be 80 feet high, and it was going to have this big plaza with these bronze tablets with the names of every single Civil War veteran in this city. They wanted to leave behind something other than little monuments and cemeteries. What year was that, that project? When did that get Nin- scuttled? Between 1916 and 1924, there were multiple attempts at it. Would that the have, city approved it. Would that have Union and Confederate or just Union? Just Union. Just Union. Yeah. Oh, wow. Think how what a lightning rod that would be right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but wow. that was, they were going to leave behind and say, you know, this is we what we achieved in the Civil War and what we achieved in Manifest Destiny and Westward Expansion. Yeah, Basically, yeah. they were going to leave their mark on the city. You would know that would have been like the space needle of its time, right next to Smith no Tower, kidding. Yeah. and it's not there. And then when that didn't happen, it just yeah, it's it's, thousands it's, of these men, and they're and they're all just kind of. And you know, Calvary Cemetery is right up the hill mm-hmm. here. I know that's a Catholic cemetery. I know Governor yeah. Rosalini is buried there. Sure. Governor um, Spellman, the only two Catholic governors, are buried there. Mm. Um, is are there Civil War veterans Union in that? There, there, there are. Okay, as well. yeah. probably. Probably any good-sized cemetery in the north, in King County in Seattle, there's probably somebody. Not even good-sized. If oh. it's before 1925, oh, okay. if there's anybody buried before 1925, there's a very high likelihood. Uh, All are, Even our suburb, I live out in, in Woodenville, we uh-huh. have veterans in that cemetery. Bothell has I'll 20, Kirkland wow. has 25, Fall City has a couple dozen. That's They're great. everywhere. They, they were the seed of... of of a lot of these places. God, that's great. And yeah. that do your now. Um, where can people find out more information about the tours that you offer? Yeah, so Civil War Seattle is my website. And okay. Then, uh, there's you know the tours tab, of course. Terrific. Um, but any social media, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all of it, just Google Civil War Seattle. You'll you'll find me. Right on, Richard Heisler. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks out for inviting tonight. me. It's really Felix. nice this to see you in person wonderful. again, and yeah. I can't wait to get together in the summer for one of your tours. Absolutely. And um, thanks for coming out for our big live broadcast. Yeah, this live. is awesome. We made it over the sound of the well, blender. <laughs> and I love that. That's why we do it. We, I mean, the ambient sound is why we're here. We love ambient sound on this program. Our crowd is thinning a little bit. I think they're, they're heading, heading for the doors. They don't want to get caught in the traffic jam that's going to happen here as the show ends. It's like leaving in the eighth inning of a Mariners game, I think. But anyway, Richard Heisler, good to see you. Have a good holiday yep, thank season. You, Felix. Thanks for stopping by. It's Cascade of History. We've got just a few more minutes left. We're live from the Burgermaster here at University Village, which, if, in case you're just joining us, uh, we learned is closing down, likely closing down at the end of February because the uh, real estate's been sold and uh, there's not space in the new development for the restaurant. So let's bring our roving correspondent, Ken Zick, into the picture here. Um, we've got just a few minutes left here. Um, Ken ordinarily is sent out to, uh, let's see, I'm going to run off the list of places I know we've sent you. We've sent you to Totem Bowl, or no, excuse me. Uh, it's called, um, it's called uh, not Totem Bowl, it's called Tech City Pin Center. And you were able to break the news that it wasn't closing down. We thought we were sending you out there for one thing, and you came back and surprised us live on the air. And then we sent you to the uh, Highland Ice Arena, and you were there You were there with the night it closed, but that was a Saturday. So you came back on Sunday, and we played audio of the Zamboni. I mean, all this stuff's on the podcast if you go back and listen to it. And then we sent you out to um, Candy Cane Lane last week for the darkness, which because of course it didn't open till last night. So, anyway, it's neat, nice to have you here in person too. It's strange to have your your. Let's hear your regular voice just talking in the microphone. How's how's it going? You uh, do, doing doing well. Glad to be here. Now we've got about a minute here, and you you dressed up in a costume. You, and last I think last week on the air, maybe on social media, we encouraged people to come in costume as their favorite character from Seattle history. I don't know how many people took you up on that, but. <laughs> I know you did. So tell us about your costume and, and wh- who you're who you're appearing as tonight. So uh, so tonight I'm I'm dressed as uh, Roy Olmsted, who's also known as the Good Bootlegger, and he has a he has a wild story. But the reason I picked him is because in uh, 1925, uh, a raid on his private residence uh, because he'd been running alcohol legally in the ah, country yes. um, was based on a wiretap. Ah and so yes, that, and that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. So there's a, nice. a, a bunch of really like. More details than we could we could do a whole show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, congratulations on your wonderful. I think you win the costume. Doesn't everybody think Ken yes. wins a costume contest? Right. Isn't it great having a live audience for radio? This is going to be next Sunday night. If I'm in the studio by myself, it's going to feel so sad and lonely and dark. All right, well, I've got just a few seconds to thank everyone at Space 101.1 FM and Space101FM.org where we stream. The board of directors, all the other volunteers, our program director, Eric, everyone who's come out here tonight to visit and uh, be part of the live audience. Um, 
We've got another show coming up next Sunday night. I'm probably going to take a few weeks off and not do a Christmas night show. I think I'll skip Christmas this year. But um, be sure and tune in to the podcast, um, which you can get at the website as well. And send any show ideas or guest ideas to cascadeofhistory at gmail.com. I want to thank um, our guests. We had Alex Jensen, the CEO of Burgermaster, Joseph Manalang of the Candy Cane Lane Neighbors Group, Richard Heisler, Civil War expert, and Art Langley, uh, a former uh, resident here of the neighborhood. Anyway, um, thanks, everybody, and let's uh, join us again next week for another fun episode of Cascade of History. That sound means the steamer Columbia has reached the end of another thrilling voyage around the Pacific Northwest. Be careful as you go ashore. Watch it, watch it. That's a slippery spot there. I'll bet that hurt. When that whistle blows once again, be sure to meet us at the landing and be ready to climb aboard a little more carefully next time for Cascade of History. Cascade of History is produced in Seattle by Felix Bonnell.